0: Welcome to Educate with Dr. Jefferson, the talk show that makes the connections between research, policies, and practitioners that are too often missing from the American education system. Now, here's your host, Dr. Jonathan Jefferson. Good day, listeners. Welcome to Educate with Dr. Jefferson. I am your host, Jonathan Jefferson. You can learn more about me at my show page on talkzone.com. Today, we are going to speak on a topic of Common Core State Standards. What are the Common Core State Standards, CCSS? Much media attention and confusion has greeted the implementation of the Common Core State Standards. Why were they developed? How do they impact children? What was wrong with the previous standards? These questions and many more will be answered on our show today by my two expert colleagues, My first guest, Beverly Walcott, earned her college degree in elementary education, her master's in reading, and is currently a doctoral student at Hofstra University in the Literacy Studies program. She is also the Director of English Language Arts, ELA, for the Uniondale Public Schools in New York, a position she has held for 10 years. Mrs. Walcott was a literacy specialist for 14 years prior to her current position. Beverly, welcome to the show.
1: Good afternoon.
0: Good afternoon. I'm so glad you can make it. So, Beverly, what are the Common Core State Standards?
1: Um, For ELA, they're all the things that we know, ELA being English Language Arts, they're all the things we really know about reading and writing. You know, reading and writing hasn't changed dramatically, but how we engage in information has changed. So the changes are really about the amount of informational text or nonfiction and the amount of literary text that we ask kids to read. And I always think about that change for myself. I'm an avid reader. I probably read 40-plus novels a year, and wow. I read everything that's on the bestsellers list. I'm a, a real bestseller junkie reader. Mm. But yet I know... Over the course of my day, most of my time is spent reading informational text. So that's a big change. We used to really just teach kids about reading stories and novels, and now we're really teaching them about reading text that gives them information.
0: Okay. Now, now is that to the exclusion of the novels and, and the stories?
1: It's really not. It's really about a balance. We probably used to teach... Seventy-five to eighty percent novels and stories or literary texts, and only about twenty-five informational texts. And now we're talking about a balance. In the elementary, it's still weighted a little heavier for literary texts, but by the secondary level, it's weighted heavier for informational texts.
0: Okay. So why were these these uh, changes made? Why were these uh, core standards developed? i
1: standards were really developed because as we watched the United States not being able to complete, compete in the global marketplace, we really needed to look at how we were educating our students and what we were educating them for. And it used, in my day, um, the teacher had all the knowledge. They stood up in front of the room. They gave us the information. We gave it back. We were a very good student. Now, anybody can get any information they want but how do they understand what the information is really telling them? And that's what they need to do. And they need to understand if it comes from another country, what do they know about that country, and how does that impact how it's written and how it's presented? That's the reason for the change. It's to help us be competitive. No longer are our children going into a job where they don't have to read and write well. Now everything they do in the workplace is about communication.
0: Okay. Now I'm gonna challenge you. Can you give us an example of a text that could be used in the world before Common Core and a text that same text being used in a world that now has Common Core. What would the the lesson what would be the differences in those lessons?
1: That's the same text. I have a favorite story because everybody will know it. We all know the story of Little Red Riding Hood. And I'm going to use that sort of as my example. So Little Red Riding Hood, just in case anybody doesn't know, it's about a little girl. Um, Her mom says, Grandma's sick. You need to take this food to Grandma. Little Red Riding Hood goes to the woods, gets to Grandma's house. The wolf is in Grandma's bed. Um, The woodsman comes, saves Little Red Riding Hood and her grandmother. So we used to ask kids to read that story, and we used to say, what's Little Red Riding Hood about? And and the expectation would be for a child to say, Little Red Riding Hood's about a girl who's trying to help her grandmother because her grandmother's sick. Um, And the problem is, when she gets to grandma's house, the wolf, a wolf is there, and she almost gets eaten up. Now, what we want kids to know is Little Red Riding Hood is about everything is not always what it seems. What do we mean by that? Little Red Riding Hood, if you think about the story, if you picture it in your mind, She goes through and she gets to the woods, and she's told by her mom to be careful in the woods, and the woods is dark and it's not safe, but Little Red Riding Hood's perfectly safe as she strolls through the woods. She gets to Grandma's house. It's in this big clearing, and everything is bright and sunny, and it should be where she's safe, and she gets inside, and she's not safe um, at that point. So everything isn't always what we expect, or everything isn't always what it's At the high school level, it's more about themes, sort of what's the message. That's really the message in Little Red Riding Hood, and that's the difference. Um, And we expect that in third and fourth grade, them to understand that. So not only are we expecting them to understand it at a different level, but we're expecting younger and younger children to make those sophisticated understandings.
0: Okay. Now, how will this this impact children? Uh, academically as far as when they step out of high school? What, what would be the dramatic difference from before to today, not today, or when a when Commerce course is fully implemented and a student has gone K through 12, what would be different when they step out of high school?
1: Well, I think what we, what we hear from colleges is that our children are coming to college and they're not ready to do what they're expected to do. And we hear that even in the workforce that kids are graduating from high school not really prepared to do what they need to do. And the goal of this is so they will leave high school prepared to be successful in college. And all of the statistics shows us that a lot of children are not successful in college. They're not successful to graduate in four years because they need to take courses to help them get up to speed, or they don't stay because they're not prepared for that. So that's really sort of the overarching goal and the expectation we will expect that when they get ready to leave high school and get to college they can analyze text, they can really really develop an argument based on what they read they can argue from both sides all of those sophisticated ways we deal with information
0: well when I hear you uh, explain the standards uh it doesn't sound like something anyone would have a complaint about. If I heard that, hey, these are the standards and the expectations for your child moving forward, I would say great. So what is the the pushback? What is all of the negative press that we're hearing um, in the news regarding Common Core?
1: I think, unfortunately, people are linking the Common Core standards as an entity with the way we are currently assessing kids in terms of high-stakes assessment and although they're related the standards in themselves perhaps are not bad but the the high-stakes assessments prior to really having kids where they need to be in terms of the common core I think is really what people object to although that's not how it it comes out
0: okay well now I keep using the argument maybe I'm you know Maybe I'm a little off. You can, you can, uh, uh, correct me on this if, if need be. I keep using the argument that if we, if we're only in a second year of full implementation of, uh, common core standards and I'm a fourth grader taking an exam, the exam is, is, is structured under the assumption that I had that rigor from kindergarten through fourth when I've only really begun being introduced to that level of rigor in the past two years. Therefore, the test is not going to accurately assess what I should know at this point. Is is that accurate or is, or is the test developed in a different way?
1: I mean, yes, that is accurate. Um, and that—and so when they do, when they the test first came out, um, the expectation was the kids wouldn't be at proficiency level. Um, but we really needed to see where they were in terms of the expectations Of proficiency but you're right Um, perhaps in my humble opinion a phase-in model for the assessments would would have been better much like being done at the high school level um, where in in ELA this year's current ninth grade or students who entered ninth grade this past September they will be the first students who take the new Common Core English assessments, or the first students who are required to, because students, you can give it now if you feel your students are ready for it, but they are the first ones who are required. And so we have the time to really, first off, really see a few of the tests, really understand the test, because it's very different than what we're used to using, understand the new language, and really get our students ready. Unfortunately that is not how it was done at the three through eight level. And I think that's why there's this outcry against the standards when it's really against the way we're assessing students in terms of the standards.
0: And do you think possibly they should have been more, they being the state departments that uh, created and issued the test, maybe they should have been more upfront with the, with the public and saying that, you know, these, this is just a, uh, um, we're testing the model. This is, you know, don't don't get frazzled over. We're not going to judge you based on this. Because I, I think teachers and, 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 and parents are feeling that their children are being judged based on this, these
1: tests. And they are. I mean, even if we say they're not, of course they are. And students are judging themselves on these tests. And teachers are judging themselves on how well their students do. I think they were honest about it. But they tied it also to how they're evaluating people. So although they were honest that that's what they thought would happen, they made you know they told us scores would dip. They told us kids that were proficient before would not be. The problem is they still tied the results to teacher evaluations, to how we evaluate students, to how we provide services. So they were honest on one hand and a little bit dishonest on the other
0: okay now it 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 seems to me that a, a lot of negative can come come from teachers having the feeling that a student's test performance state test performance will impact their evaluation and what I mean by that is you may have very good teachers, highly effective teachers let's say i'm a highly effective twelfth uh, um, grade English teacher, and yet you know y- you as the director may want me to work with more struggling students because of my Uh, good skill set. I might be hesitant to do that because I may think, oh no, they're going to be tested and that's going to reflect on me. I mean, that's kind of a, uh, a quirky example, but do you have some concerns about that?
1: I mean, teachers have a lot of concerns about that and the way that the plan is structured, you know, is partly why. But in reality, it is easier to show growth And one of the measures is a growth measure, where the kids were and where they are now. It's easier to show growth for your most at-risk students because they have the furthest to grow, so it's easier for them to grow. It's Mm -hmm. actually harder to show growth for your high-achieving students. Um, Okay. And unfortunately, it's also a little bit unfair if you teach ELA or math and you teach social studies or art or music, or one of the other subjects, that your results aren't on these high-stakes, fully implemented Common Core assessments.
0: Okay. Well, this is excellent information, but Beverly, we need to take a short break. Stay tuned. We'll be back with more right after this. Welcome back to Educate on Talk Zone. Here's Dr. Jonathan Jefferson. Welcome back, welcome back, welcome back to the show and our discussion with our expert guest, Beverly Walcott. If you'd like to join our conversation, the phone lines are open, 888-463-6748. That's 888-463-6748. We're taking your calls on Talk Zone. Uh, Beverly, just before the break, you mentioned how uh, there was an imbalance or an unfairness uh, against teachers who uh, teach English, language arts and mathematics, whereas uh, teachers of uh, other subjects such as physical education, art, uh, music, uh, whatever the case might be, aren't under the same microscope. Is there a way to uh, tie all teachers into these uh, a schools performance so that it's more balanced?
1: I mean, some schools have chosen to do that and how they design their APPR plan, and that's sort of been the trend from the first year of APPR, um, which is the annual professional performance review process for teachers, into the second year because there was some of that feeling. But but in reality, when the information goes public, and that is the future Um, It is the ELA and the math teachers whose names will be associated with their data. And that's a little of a daunting feeling because it's a name and a number. It's just as daunting as we're evaluating, we're saying a child is a level 4 or a level 3 or a level 2 or a level 1 based on one day or one assessment because it's over multiple days of their performance when we all know that one view is not, you know, the only way to see somebody. Um, is, so is, is, it's hard. Um, I think we'll, we'll see teachers leery of going into those subject areas.
0: Do you think we'll, I agree with you, and do you think we'll ever get to a point where teachers are actually asked to leave the profession based on uh, state assessments?
1: I mean, I sure hope not. Um, I mean, I think that it is one piece of information we have about a teacher. And certainly, we expect teachers to help our kids reach the goals that we set for them, um, be it a state assessment or other assessments or performance goals or whatever it is that we set for them. Um, but I really um, I really just don't believe, that will ever use that as a sole window. I think it just will never happen.
0: Okay. Certainly not um, in New York. <sighs> okay. And I hope you're right because uh, we do need, we actually need more uh, but, teachers coming into the profession.
1: But we also, as professionals, we need to, I'm going to say, police our profession better. We need to make sure that everybody is doing whatever their job the best that they can. Absolutely.
0: Now, now let me ask you, uh, for several years, the concern, before Common Core, the concern was that uh, teachers were teaching toward the test. Um, if teachers focus more on creatively uh, or, or using differentiated instruction to meet the higher standards, do they even have to think about the test? I mean, wouldn't simply striving toward those standards help students perform well?
1: I mean, I think that Teachers have to teach the structure and the format of a test. Just like if you remember when you took the SATs, you know, you needed to know that to answer a sentence completion question, this is the way you answer that type of question. I don't think we could ever not teach that because that makes us more effective as test takers. But I think that if teachers teach kids to think, how to think, how to think deeply, they will be successful on the test. And they don't need to do test practice after test practice after test practice.
0: Okay. And uh, what can parents do to help their children?
1: I mean, I think what parents can do first and foremost is encourage their kids to read. And read anything. If your child isn't, doesn't want to read a novel, Um, because that's not what they're interested in, but they like to play the latest video game. Encourage them to read the directions in playing the game. Teach them how to effectively search on the Internet. I think that, and just help them to think. Give them situations where they have to think and then use their thoughts to create an outcome.
0: That's that's good advice. And in fact, you 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 triggered a memory. Uh, when when I was in uh, junior high school, I was a New York City kid, and it was there are three big time high schools that uh, all New York City kids want to get into, who are you know high functioning academically, and that's you know Bronx High School of Science, Brooklyn Tech, and Stuyvesant. And we were told in eighth grade, or oh, I was told I was given the advice that if you want to perform well on that test, take a section of the New York Times on Sunday and during the week, read it from cover to cover. And over time, you will get a a feel for the language that's going to help you and a structure of sentences, et cetera, that would help you perform well on that particular test. And in Mm -hmm. fact, although I didn't take that advice wholeheartedly, I I was in middle school and pretty rambunctious, um, I could see how that would at that that time help someone perform well, not only on that exam, but also similar tests such as the SAT. What are your thoughts on that?
1: Um, I agree 100%. For me, the way I think about it is in terms of a crossword puzzle. Um, I do the crossword puzzle in the paper. Now, I know in Newsday that every day during the week starting, Monday is the easiest. Saturday is called the Saturday Stumper. And each day it gets harder. I know that. So I know when I go into Wednesday, what's the level of expectation I also know the common words and phrases that include, they repeat over and over again. I know that they don't say it's a two-word phrase. They just expect you to figure that out. So I understand the structure of the puzzle so I can be more effective solving the puzzle because I understand that piece. It's not that I know the answers. And the piece you said about doing it every day, that practice, that's critical. That's like athletes. People are not good athletes. Unless they practice a lot and they practice it over and over again.
0: Exactly, and it's and it's it's uh, perfect practice <laughs> that makes that makes yes. you better. Uh, and, and and so that's good advice. So I'm going to continue sharing that advice with with children who are preparing to take uh, PSATs and SATs um, as far as the the ELA piece goes. So just hey, add to your whatever your 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 planning is add. Uh, you know, reading anything of interest, but in particular for the language that's used, I know they're changing the SAT, especially in 2016, but for the language that's used, the New York Times is a good barometer or, or a good uh, model to use it for, te- for practice.
1: Yeah, because it's on all different subjects, so you're exposed to language on all different subjects, and if you understand how a newspaper works, you can really use it to your advantage because in the first paragraph, they tell you the five W's, who, what, where, when, and why. And the rest of a newspaper article, just the, what I'll call the color commentary about the information. So that as you get better at it, you can now you can read that first paragraph and think about what else are they going to tell me, and you can relate that other information. So it's a really good structure to practice with, and, um,
0: yeah. And, and I would also add that it's probably a good idea for um, children to download the, the app because they're more apt <laughs> to use it electronically than to actually buy a
1: newspaper. I mean, I know that's true, but in reality, one of the things I think we have to do as we move into the future is teach our children really how to engage in technology for learning beyond for social and entertainment purposes because when we ask kids to read um, on, the, on a screen, uh, like a read an article or things, they actually struggle with that because that's not what they do in technology. Mm. So that's mm. another skill like they have to practice. And you read very differently initially on a screen versus with a hard copy. I mean, I remember when I got my Kindle, um, I struggled with the first few books. First off, there's no page numbers, so I couldn't tell you where I was in the book, and I didn't understand that what 50% of it was because I didn't know how long it was. So I did not know what 50% of what, you know, okay. until I realized that that n- number in the bottom right hand corner is the number of sentences, and I know now that an average book, they're run a typical book I would read is about 6,000. Um, so now I know. It, where I am and that helped me understand where I was in the story to understand am I at the beginning of the action I am at the climax am I at the falling action
0: actually you're more diligent than I because with my kindle life I've started downloading more audio books <laughs> and, um, and 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 fewer of the, of the reading texts so, uh, I like I've the cheated. voices
1: in my head better <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, now getting back to the Common Core State Standards, for English language arts, they have what is called the anchor standards. Could you explain that to us?
1: Sure. The The standards are actually, um, for for reading, are really divided into, in reality, really three areas, key ideas and details. That's the comprehension skill that we all know, reading about it, understanding what it's telling us about, being able to decide what it's mostly about, and sort of being able to analyze it. Um, The second piece, and I think this is the biggest change, is what's called craft and structure. This is about interpreting words and phrases and how an author uses them. It's about analyzing the meaning of text. It's about knowing when you read a newspaper that the first paragraph is sort of the summary of the article. That's something you would know about text, knowing that a science text typically follows from sort of here's the problem, here are the steps we're taking, that science methodology. Social studies information is very often presented over time. And then looking at point of view, understanding like who's written it, why they've written it, sort of what their purpose is. That's craft and structure. That's very different than how English teachers have typically taught. Then the third major area is the integration of knowledge and ideas, and it's sort of seeing how texts relate to other texts and how one set of information we learn links to other information. Um, And then the big other change is the idea of text complexity, where the expectation of the level of text that students read is greater. Um, in terms of the content, in terms of the word choice, and in terms of the theme. So those are the big areas of the standards in terms of reading.
0: Okay. And how can um, teachers of other subjects, um, like we mentioned before, the teachers that are not under such a microscope, how could they incorporate into what they do um, some of these uh, standards so that um, students are getting it, you know, across the board?
1: I think that ELA teachers would say, we don't want, we don't feel that everybody has to teach kids how to write well. But we do have to teach them how to think well. And so I use this example when I talk to phys ed teachers. I don't expect you to have the kids write a paper because that's not what you do in phys ed. Exercising your body is just as important. But you could ask kids, if we're going to play volleyball, and so we've been playing volleyball for two weeks, how would the game change if the ball was three times as big? Or if the court was four feet wider and 10 feet longer? Or the net was two feet higher or three feet lower? And then the kids could try it out, and they could really see how it would be different. That would teach them sort of to think, because the goal is, and I'm... I was just looking up this quote, and it's just something that I always think about. The goal is to help students gain insight into what they're learning, teaching them how to think, not what to think. And doing that with a game of volleyball would teach them how to think.
0: Excellent. This is excellent information. We have been speaking with Beverly Walcott, Director of English Language Arts for the Uniondale Public Schools in New York, Beverly, where can parents go to learn more about their Common Core State Standards?
1: I mean, the best resource is www.engageny.org. And there is a that's New York State, where they put okay. all of the information about the Common Core Standards. There are sections for parents. There are sections for educators. But it is all public information. There are sample test questions, if parents are concerned about what kinds of Tests will their students face? There are strategies parents can use to help them. That's the best resource that New York State has to offer.
0: Okay, so that's www.engagenewyork.gov?
1: Engageny.org.
0: All right, engageny.org. Okay, Beverly, thanks so much for joining us.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: I appreciate it. Stay tuned because my next expert colleague will share facts about Common Core state standards as they relate to mathematics.